might Jesus say to Harry and Meghan? Well, Adam did that one. Last month, I did what might Jesus say to Greta Thunberg? And tonight, what might Jesus say to Charlie D'Amelio? Did you know that Charlie D'Amelio, you might not know Charlie D'Amelio at all, but if you do, you may know that she has um, as many followers on TikTok as there are people in the United Kingdom and France combined. 131 million people, I think, at last count. Um, some of you won't have heard of her, others. Maybe you're listening to the recording of this. You'll feel like you know her personally. Well, what might Jesus say to Charlie D'Amelio? Well, of course, do you notice the word might? What might Jesus say? I don't know for sure what would pass between Jesus um, and, uh, and um, Charlie. Only Jesus knows for sure. I don't know her. I don't know her elder sister. Dixie, her elder sister, how would you feel if your elder sister, well, if, if you were the elder sister and you only had 54 million followers and your younger sister has more than twice that many, that would, that would be quite hard to take. Um, I don't know their parents. Their parents are called Heidi and Mark, and they're pretty photogenic as well. I've never visited their California home, although I have seen inside it because I've watched at least um, some of their reality documentary, The D'Amelio Show, um, which you can watch if you want to. Well, I don't know, maybe they may, they may have faith already. I don't know what she and they believe, I don't know. But I do believe that Jesus has got good news for Charlie D'Amelio's generation, the TikTok generation. Were you born between about 1995 and 2010? Some of us wish we could say, yes, I was. <laughs> Some of you were. Were you born between about 2000, between 1995 and 2010? If so, you are part of Generation Z. Did you know that? I'm part of Generation X. Um, and uh, some of you between Generation, but older than that, you're baby boomers of different sorts. I'm Gen X. Um, and uh, then came um, so-called millennials after that. Adam's a millennial, fine example of a millennial. And then after that, from 1995 to 2010, known as Generation X, uh, Generation Z, sorry. And Generation Z is fascinating for lots of reasons. I sound like I'm studying them in a science lesson now. But Generation Z is fascinating because you're the first generation to grow up using mobile technology. So communicating through mobile technology is like speaking your first language. And, um, uh, that's, uh, that, that, and I know that older generations are often saying to the younger generation, stop spending so much time on the screen, but... Just, and I agree, I agree with that, by the way, <laughs> definitely. But there is an, in your defense, of course, um, there you, actually, the online world is your home country. And that, that is a reality that our generation don't quite understand, I think, um, because we just weren't brought up with it. You are also the most photographed generation in history, and therefore possibly the most concerned about how you look. That is debatable, but that is possibly, probably true. You're also living with the possibility that any mistake you make could spread like wildfire um, on social media. And not only that, but the, a, a type of your name into a social media, into a search engine in 15 years' time, some mistake you make today could lose you a job in 15 years' time that you might otherwise have got. That's my, my generation didn't live with that. That is a, that is a new phenomenon. I think that people in, my, my observation is that people in Generation Z are pulled in two opposite directions at the same time, which creates an enormous inner pressure. On the one hand, you're being told that you've got to be as authentically yourself as you possibly can be, and yet, at the same time, no generation has felt the pressure of social media influences telling you how you really ought to be. 
And you see those two things pulling in the same direction. Be yourself, be authentic to yourself, and at the same time, be like this. Well, what do you do? Very, it's, it's very hard. We, I didn't grow up with that. That's a new, relatively new thing. So I don't know whether TikTok's your thing or some other digital space, but Charlie D'Amelio is Generation Z royalty. She is utter royalty. What a story. So some of you know the story better than I do. She danced competitively from the age of four, and then aged 14 in 2019, she opened a TikTok account. Within a week, she had, do anyone know how many followers she had in the week? Five million followers in a week. And... Um, this is um, Alexander Boliari. He's from the Influencer Marketing Factory. He explains her rise. He says, with Charlie, she became this image of the perfect TikTok dancing girl. It was trending because everyone was commenting and saying, I don't understand the hype. And then they went from watching her videos and then making fun of themselves saying, oh, now I get it. And those early videos went viral. But, as Boliari explains, a viral TikTok video can open a door, but it doesn't keep it open very long. D'Amelio's success came about through a perfect storm of elements, a bit of luck, the right timing, consistency, and TikTok's algorithm. Of course, it helps that she is very attractive, that she's a very good dancer, and that she choreographs brilliantly and is brilliant at copying other people's dances as well. Jennifer Lopez, um, J-Lo, she puts Charlie's um, uh, name, she put Charlie's name forward for the Time Next 100 list. And she identified another quality that people really believe they see in Charlie D'Amelio. She said this, this is J-Lo, when Charlie dances, she connects. She's the biggest new teenage star right now. It's not simply that she dances on TikTok. She's the best at it. When she dances, people want to be like her. Her authenticity comes through the screen. People sense that Charlie is just being herself on the screen. Well, now she and her sister um, are the face of their own Hollister clothing range. The family are subjects of that TV documentary that I mentioned a minute ago. She's, I think she's 17 um, now, but she's got an estimated net worth of $12 million, and I suspect that's rising fast. Now, I have got absolutely no intention of criticizing Charlie D'Amelio in the name of Jesus, let alone in the name of Jesus. Not going to criticize her. Because, partly because for all her fame and her wealth, despite the adult tone of some of her dances, even though Generation Z lives with a blurring of the line between childhood and adulthood in a new way that hasn't quite been experienced before again, she is a child, and that's really important to remember. And how does Jesus respond to children? He reaches out to them with uh, special kindness. What might he say to her then? And to those in her generation whose eyes are captivated by images that are constantly flashing before your eyes, images of youth and beauty. Well, look, here's a place to start. Um, did you know that when God looks at a person, he has just about no interest in what they look like? Can we do, let's try and take that seriously this evening. When God looks at a person, he, had just about, he has just about no interest in what they look like. So that first reading there is so interesting. It has so much to teach all of us. It's not just... Um, that, that, by the way, it's not just Generation Z. I don't want to give the impression that Generation Z is the only generation that is obsessed with image. Actually, every generation is obsessed with image and the way things appear. It's just that Generation Z have images bombarded at them a lot more 
than previous generations have had. Because actually, it was an issue in the, in the Old Testament as well, people being obsessed with image. So even the prophet Samuel loses his head. He turns up, he knows he's got to anoint one of Jesse's sons as king. He turns up at Jesse's house, and it's a little bit like in the playground when you're choosing who's going to be on the football team. You've got all the people lined up on the line. And he takes a look at the seven brothers, and he looks at the tallest. Obviously, very tall is good, um, so he thought. And this handsome, tall Eliab, and um, he looks at Eliab and he thinks it's got to be that one. It's got to be the king. If there's a king in this room, it's that guy there because he looks the best. But no sooner does Samuel think that, the Lord says to him, do not consider his appearance. This is 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord, this is the crucial bit. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, I, I'm guessing that a lot of, uh, a lot of um, Generation Z girls look at someone like Charlie and her body, um, and a lot of boys look at her body as well and think, that's what I want. I want to look like that, or I want a girlfriend that looks like that. Anything less, and I failed. That kind of, that, that sense. By the way, of course, it's not just TikTok that, um, that promotes that sort of thinking. I've, Instagram, perhaps, is particularly um, uh, does that as well, because it's so visual again. Other social media platforms have been accused of causing young people, girls, and to a lesser extent, boys as well, to feel rubbish about their bodies or about themselves, and then contributing uh, on from that into anxiety, insecurity, depression, and varieties of self-harm, eating disorders, and so on. And our hearts go out. I mean, you, that's a terrible place to be, to believe things about yourself based on what you've picked up from those images that you feel you have to live up to. That is a terrible, terrible weight to live under. And it's vital. I mean, in terms of healing from that and coming back from that, it's so important to realize that Jesus just doesn't even, he hardly even notices our appearance. Just think about that. He hardly even notices. Now, I'm not saying for a minute, and the Bible doesn't say either, that it's wrong to take care of our appearance or wrong to be good-looking. Interestingly, David himself was quite good-looking. It's just that the Lord wasn't bothered whether he was or not. The, the text actually says he was. But it, this, that, the, the point is he doesn't, he, he doesn't really pay any, any attention to it. Whether the whole world thinks we're as attractive as the beauty or as ugly as the beast, God doesn't even notice. Not really, he, just, he just doesn't judge us like that. He sees the heart. He knows us from the inside. He knows the authentic you. Now, lots of people say that Charlie D'Amelio is successful because she is authentically who she is on the screen. Is she? I, I've no idea. Actually, nobody really knows, probably apart from her mum and dad, maybe her sister. Nobody really knows that, but actually Jesus knows whether she, what you get is the real thing. He knows her, her heart. He knows you. He knows me. He knows our hearts. So, and, and he's not on the lookout for how much fat we've got on our bodies or how many spots or wrinkles or blemishes or how big our biceps or whether, or, or, whether, or how toned our six-pack happens to be. He just, that's just not important. He, what he wants to see is faith, hope, and love on the inside. You know, if we, could, if we could actually believe that basic truth, of, and I'm not just talking to the younger people, I'm talking to all of us, if we could believe that basic truth 
about God, it would be life-changing. Because we wouldn't make our happiness dependent on how other people judge us. If they think we're beautiful, if they think we're sophisticated, if they think whatever it is that we desperately want them to think about us, their judgment would, wouldn't mean so much to us compared to, uh, compared to God's judgment, that we, we, who looks in a completely different way. And by the way, if, 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 we, if we instead work on developing that beauty on the inside, whether we're men or, or women, men that we're not so comfortable talking in terms of beauty, but, you know, handsomeness or whatever we're talking about, if we, if we want to develop that attractiveness of heart, then it will soon make a difference from the outsiders, on the outside as well. One of my favorite quotes from the twits, I rolled Dahl. Uh, let me read this. I love this quote. Do you remember the twits? Lots of you will have read the twits. It says here, it says, Mrs. Twit, who, remember, was a real sort of horror show, and so is Mr. Twit. Mrs. Twit wasn't born ugly. She had quite a nice face when she was young. The ugliness had grown upon her year by year as she got older. Why would that happen? I'll tell you why. If a person has ugly thoughts, it begins to show on her face. And when that person has ugly thoughts, every day, every week, every year, the face gets uglier and uglier until it gets so ugly you can hardly bear to look at it. A person with good thoughts cannot ever be ugly. You can have a wonky nose and a crooked mouth and a double chin and stick out teeth. But if you have good thoughts, they will shine out of your face like sunbeams and you will always look lovely. I love that quote. How to be truly beautiful is to focus on what's going on in your heart. Now, it is very hard not to be swayed by appearances. When something is attractive, when it's got lots of followers, it naturally seems wonderful to us. But Jesus just doesn't see it that way, which is such a huge relief to us. Now, it is a relief. I've made a few, I've made a few videos in my time, nothing on TikTok. Um, obviously, thank goodness for my boys who would find that so desperately embarrassing, it would be beyond utterance. But I made a few videos, and to be honest, I like to check how many people have viewed my, my little videos, um, and I get on a little, I, I actually get on a bit of a high when people say, that was great, and oh yes, elation. And then, um, and then, and then you look over at the other church down the road and see that they got more people watching their thing and something in me dies. Oh. It would be nice to be famous. Or do you think it really would be? Do you know, I can't actually imagine. I mean, trying to imagine myself in Charlie D'Amelio's um, situation. Can you imagine being as successful and popular as that? Um, Experience teaches me what it feels like to be high on other people's compliments. It's actually not a very healthy place to be. You feel like you're having a massive sugar high. It feels very precarious and slightly kind of on edge. It actually, in the end, makes you feel very insecure because if you don't get those compliments the next time, well, did they really mean it? Or are they just, why, why are they saying it? And then, can you imagine... Can you imagine if Charlie D'Amelio lost 5 million followers and only had 125 million? What would that do to her? I don't, I don't know what it would do to her. I know what it would do to me. It would be horrid. What a relief that as Jesus approaches Charlie, he actually makes no judgment about her body shape. 
most men who probably walk towards Charlie D'Amelio are looking at her in a particular way. I'm not saying they should, but I'm saying they probably are. But it is irrelevant to Jesus as he walks towards her and what she looks like, what her body is shaped like. It's irrelevant to him how popular she is, how many followers she has. He speaks to her heart and to the hearts of all her generation. You know, if we could really get that, can you just imagine what pressure it would lift from us? In the end, we have to make a choice. This comes back to this tension again between having to be authentic to ourselves and pleasing other people. We cannot do both. We cannot be authentic to ourselves and please everybody. If we want to please our public, you see, if we want to please our public, we have to be as they want us to be. We have to be. And that's a slavery. It's a slavery to a whole load of people who don't really know us and who don't really love us. So we might look great on the outside, but inside, all that time, we're trying to ride those two horses of being authentic and being popular. All that time, on the outside, we might look great, but on the inside, actually, we're being pulled apart, and our personality and our self is being dismantled slowly but surely. It's so different, though, when we focus instead on pleasing an audience of one, living before an audience of one, our God, our God who made us and knows us, who loves us and accepts us in Jesus just as we are. That's a very different situation. So suppose then that Charlie D'Amelio was sitting down for a chat with Jesus. Do you know what I think he'd say to her? Here we go, this is what I think he'd say. I think he'd say, I think he'd say, um, Charlie, I'd like you to meet my mum. I think that's what he'd say. Charlie, could I introduce you to my mum? To Mary, I'd like you to meet her. I'd love you to meet her. Charlie's brilliant at imitating the dances of other artists and learning them and doing them. She makes her own brilliant ones as well, but she's a brilliant imitator. I wonder what she would learn from Mary. I wonder if she could learn to imitate Mary. Because actually, talk about famous young women. Mary actually tops all of them. Is there a more famous woman in the whole history of humanity? Just as a matter of historic fact, I don't think there is. I if, there is, if there is, I can't think of one. Possibly one of Muhammad's wives, possibly. But I think it's probably Mary. Extraordinarily famous woman. Mary, the mother of Jesus, the best-known woman in human history. Was she pretty? We have absolutely no idea. Was she a size eight? I don't know. Could she dance? No idea. But I think Jesus might introduce Charlie to Mary because Mary knows how to get the sort of heart that God wants to see. She knows how to get a heart like that. And uh, you see, God, remember, God looks at the heart. And what he wants to see in our heart is he wants to see his own life. He wants to see his own love in our heart. So the question then becomes, well, how can I get God's love into my heart? How can I get God's life into my heart? Um, well, Mary shows us how. And the art, well, the, to start with, Mary's telling us, you don't have to be impressive in the eyes of the world. Mary was just, she was a peasant girl from a small town in the countryside, and yet God chooses her to be the mother of Jesus, his son, the saviour of the world. Now, she knew that what God had promised was impossible. She knew that it would change her life forever. 
She possibly it would change her life for the worse. She suspected perhaps that Joseph, her fiance, would dump her, thinking that she had cheated on him. Her family might reject her because she got pregnant outside marriage. But the thing is, she's not living to please herself, and she isn't aiming um, to please other people. She isn't living for a public beyond herself. She isn't trying to create a Mary brand in this world to express who she really is. She's just thinking, I, I can serve the Lord. I can do that. I'm open to him. I'm open to him. And, and of course, she longs, she wants this saviour, Jesus. She wants more than anything. She wants the saviour to, to be part of her life. Someone, uh, she thinks, here's, here's the saviour to rescue us from the shame and the the, the darkness that we know within us, he's going to come and rescue me. Oh, yes, I want him. And so she says, in a very famous word, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And uh, so in other words, she says a big yes. Yes to God's plan. A firm yes to Jesus. A strong yes to God's spirit. And God then comes in to her life. Of course, in her case, he came in in a unique way. And that doesn't happen ever again. <laughs> in that sense, in the way it happened to Mary. But in principle, it does happen. When we open up and we say yes to him, God does come in. Jesus does come in. The Spirit of God does come in and begins to change our heart into the sort of heart that God longs to see. I wonder, if, have you said yes to him or um, let him in for real, really done it? Fame, um, beauty, um, 131 million social media followers, $12 million or whatever she's worth. Um, it might appear to be wonderful. It might appear to be wonderful to have people look at your photos and think, that's wonderful. Or to look at whatever it is you put up online, not just talking about the, the photos, you know, our, all the things we put up there and the stuff we do, the stuff we put out there in our lives. It'd be, it, it'd be, we, it's wonderful to us, the thought that they might be popular and we might... We, but actually, it doesn't last anyway. Outward beauty, it doesn't last as we might wish it does. And in the meantime, the whole world of images and appearance actually cripples us with insecurity and in the end with shame. We think, I can't make the grade. Who are you living to please? So ask yourself that question, whom are you living to please? Is this the moment for you to turn to Jesus for real, to ask him into your heart, to be, well, not only the audience of one that you're going to live your life before, but to be your saviour from shame and from guilt and from darkness, and to be your authority in matters of living. What a relief that would be to have him in that position in your life. What a relief. There are, yeah, there would be new challenges, but... Imagine life without the insecurity, without the shame, without the artificial highs and lows of other people's approval. God looks at the heart, not at the outward appearance. And so perhaps Jesus would point the amazing Charlie D'Amelio, and she is amazing, perhaps he would point her to his own mother. I think he might say, Charlie, will you say yes in your heart to what's more important than all this fame? to something that's longer lasting than all the hype, that's more significant than all the money, will you say yes to me in your heart? Because that is what I am looking at.